are in lockdown. Don't venture away from your radio. Don't go outside. Don't get infected. Welcome to Quarantine. Quarantine Radio Theater brings you new productions of old-time radio as well as new productions of original material. So, dim the lights, sit back, and close your eyes. We are in quarantine. Welcome to Quarantine Radio Theater's sixth episode, The Scrap of Lace. This show was originally produced in September of 1942. Oh, excuse me for a moment. Hello? Hi, how are you doing? Uh, I have a delivery for the QRT gang. Well, that would be us. Oh, that will be 1942. Sure thing. Uh, why don't you come in? I'll get you the money from the booth. I'd, I'd rather not. You see, Pizza Barn has lost several of our drivers. We're down to the management taking the orders out until we find out what's been happening. Oh, well, uh, that's too bad. Uh, have you heard from any of them? No, but the authorities have been keeping us informed with every step of the investigation. Any leads? Not yet. Nothing solid. The police did say that it was rather strange that all of the missing delivery drivers had the same location on their route. Which location is that? Well, um, this one, as a matter of fact. Really? Just as a matter of uh, curiosity, you haven't seen any of them, have you? Well, I, I personally have not, but let me ask some of the other folks here if they've seen anyone. Uh, hey, Sherry, could you come to the front door? Uh, see you in a second. Uh, sh she'll be out in a moment. <laughs> What's up? Uh, Sherry, this is the manager for Pizza Barn. He was just wondering if... Uh... Uh, if you've seen any of our treasured delivery drivers. No, I haven't. I am glad I finally have a manager face-to-face. Of all the times we have ordered from you, and this is the first time we actually got a pie. I don't know how your- Sherry, dear, this nice man isn't accusing us, and he's just concerned about his missing co-workers. He is? Oh, he is. I am so sorry. We haven't seen anyone other than, uh, us. Yes, the 11 of us is all I've seen. How much do we owe you? How much do we owe him? Um, $19.42. And thank you for your concern. Sherry is very empathetic. I am. If you'll follow me back to my locker, I will see that you get your money and then some. Well, I, I'm really not supposed to come in. 
but... Well, you all have been really helpful. Just this way. Wow! This place is huge! Okay, we find it cozy. Sorry about the interruption, folks. Sherry will get him paid and everything will return to normal. In the meantime, sit back and try to relax as Quarantine Radio Theater presents The Scrap of Lace. Of course, you know the great family of Kruger who ruled New York society for generations. When Mrs. Peter John Kruger III died, her mantle descended as a matter of course to Mrs. Peter John Kruger IV. This beautiful and charming young woman, Mimi by name, inherited not only her mother-in-law's scepter, but also Teresa de Guion. Teresa de Guion was the first and certainly the greatest of social secretaries. The story begins one summer morning at Carriswood, the enormous and rather monstrous Kruger estate in Upper Westchester. Mimi and Teresa de Guion were together in the breakfast room. Oh, Teresa, must we go to that dull dinner at the Bransoms tonight? I think I'll call it off. Mimi, you simply can't do that. Hmm? The dinner's being given for you. Oh. I was most insistent that I be consulted about the other guests. After all, my dear, you have certain responsibilities. Your mother-in-law, Mrs. Kruger, the third? Yes, I know. She was a paragon of the social virtues. She didn't mind being bored to death. Oh, Mimi, you are so lax. What would you do without me? <laughs> you worry too much, Teresa. You're living in the past. Your little assistant, Louise Mayfield, could possibly take over very well. Louise? Louise Mayfield? That, why, that child? My dear Teresa, she's 21 and very competent. After all, you trained her. Yes, and I am very fond of Louise. She's like a daughter to me. But take my place? Why, surely you're joking, my dear. Oh, yes. Yes, of course. You know, Mimi, I'm a bit worried about Louise. She's been acting very hard lately. This party she's going to tonight, I have no idea where it is or who her host is to be. Well, wherever it is, she'll have a better time than I will. You know, Teresa, I shouldn't be surprised if Louise has been acting strangely because she's trying to keep away from my handsome cousin, Jack Rowcliffe. She doesn't seem very grateful to you, Teresa, for arranging to marry him off to Vera McPeak. Jack Rowcliffe and Vera McPeak are a splendid match. He has family, position. Vera is young. She can be moulded. She can be taught. Oh, certainly, yes. And her father has one hundred million. But I don't blame Jack for straying from the fold. Louise is very lovely, and I find Vera a very trying guest. In fact, I find it all very trying. Mystique we on? Oh, there's Louise. Louise, we're in the breakfast room. Come in here, my dear. Good morning, Mrs. Kruger. Mystique we on? Did you want me this morning? No, Louise, I did. Teresa insists we go to this dinner tonight. Jack and Vera are going with us. We'll be leaving around seven. Tell Jack, won't you? Must I, Mrs. Kruger? Mrs. Kruger has asked you to deliver a message. Do so, my dear. Jack, I've only come to tell you about the dinner. Oh, Louise. Please, must we go through all this again? 
Why don't you leave me alone? Because I'm mad about you, Louise. Can't you understand? I'm in love with you. I want you to marry me. You? Marry and support a wife? Don't be silly, Jack. It does sound silly, doesn't it? But I'm changed, I tell you. You've changed me, Louise. I love you. There's... there's nothing I wouldn't do for you. And what about Vera McPeak? Ha! No, Jack. I'm afraid you've been bought, paid for, and delivered. Vera won't let you go so easily. I'll tell her tonight that I'm through, Louise. I'll meet her at the dinner and tell her, and then I'll come back here to you. Come back if you like, Jack. Good. I'll be back at about... But I won't be here. Where are you going, Louise? Well, why don't you tell me? (gasps) It's another man. I know it's another man. Who is it? Who is it? This nonsense has gone far enough. What I do is my own business. Do you understand that, Jack? No, it's my business. You're mine, Louise. Do you hear? You're mine. I'll have you or no one else will. Jack, let go of my wrist. Louise, tell me. You're hurting me. Please. Louise, I want to know. Let me go. Well, Jack. Vera. Still making passes at the servants, I see. Perhaps it's just as well you saw. Might as well have this out now. Shut up. I can handle this. It's pretty easy to see what Miss Mayfield's little game is. She thinks she'll marry into the great Kruger clan. Well, let me tell you, Miss Mayfield, Jack hasn't got a cent to his name and never will have. Vera, please. I understand perfectly, Miss McPeak. I assure you, I have no ambitions in Mr. Rowcliffe's direction. Quite the lady, aren't you, Miss Mayfield? Well, watch your step. Sure, I know what you all think of me. Vulgar, common, (laughs) but let me tell you, we common clay McPeaks from Pittsburgh know how to get what we want, and we know how to keep it. Think that over, Miss Mayfield. Think that over. Yes? Come in. Mademoiselle? Miss Louise? Madame Kruger has sent me to help you dress for your engagement. Come in. How thoughtful of Mrs. Kruger to send you, Suzanne. Have they gone? But we, César. She left long ago. We're not happy. Monsieur Jacques, he says nothing, and Mademoiselle, his fiancée, uh, the ugly one, she, um, how you say, uh, she very angry. Even Madame, she want not to go. Well, let's not think of them, Suzanne. I'm happy, and I'm going to have a wonderful time. Well, Mademoiselle is très charmante, very lovely. It is a twist you go on to, uh, n'est-ce pas? It is for your young man that your eyes shine so, hmm? <laughs> Maybe. You're too smart, Suzanne. How do I look? Oh, ravishing, mademoiselle. He will eat you up. You are so lovely. Suzanne, you are a darling. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, who is it? A letter for Miss Mayfield. Oh, thank you. It is a letter for you, mademoiselle. For me? Why, it's a thick one, isn't it? 
lovely. What an exquisite handkerchief. Why, who could have sent it to me? Madame Kruger must have sent it. It is one of the six she bought in Prairie. It is perfect, mademoiselle, for your costume, n'est-ce pas? Oh, it's lovely. What a darling Mrs. Kruger is. Oui, she is most generous. Uh, shall I put the scent, uh, the perfume on it, mademoiselle? No, thank you. I'll do it myself, Suzanne. Oh, just put that bottle of gardenia perfume on my dressing table, please. Oui, mademoiselle. Now you can go, Suzanne. I won't need you any more. Merci, mademoiselle. Uh, bonjour, mademoiselle. Good night, Suzanne, and thank you. <sighs> oh, it's so lovely. One more drop. <coughs> Suzanne? Suzanne! Help! Suzanne! Help! John! John! In all my years of experience, Mimi, I have never had to cope with anything so, so sordid. Teresa, how, how can you think of appearance with Louise, that beautiful child lying in there, dead? But I must think of them. After all, Dr. Plummer refuses to sign a death certificate. That old fopper with his hints of foul play. Maybe he's right, Vera. Maybe... What do you mean, Jack? What do you know of Louise Mayfield's death? Well, I... Stop wrangling, you two. Dr. Plummer was kind enough to give us 36 hours. He's risking a great deal going as far as that. Oh, why doesn't Madam Story get here? Are you sure you acted wisely in calling her in, Mimi? Well, it was either she or the police. You said she had a reputation for discretion. Come in. Yes? Madam Rosica Story and Miss Bella Brickley. Thank heaven you're here, Madam Story. This is a terrible situation. Terrible. Oh, but let me introduce you. I am Teresa de Guillon. This is Mrs. Peter John Kruger, the fourth. How do you do? How do you do? Miss McPeak. Hello. Miss McPeak. Mr. Rowcliffe. How do you do? How do you do, Mr. Rowcliffe? It was good of you to come so quickly, Madam Story. This is unfortunate accident is likely to create a distressing scandal to Mrs. Kruger. Accident, Miss Dickeon. From what you told me over the phone, I gathered Louise Mayfield had been murdered. Nonsense. We don't know that, Madam Story. Nobody does. We know Louise is dead. Poor child. We found her when we returned last night from our dinner party. It isn't nonsense, Teresa, and you know it. Madam Story is perfectly right. It'd be very foolish to ask her help and not give her all the facts. What facts, Mimi? Just because that old fossil of a Dr. Plummer won't give a death certificate? If you ask me, it's a nice little scheme to get you to hire this story woman and split whatever she can manage to get out of you. Vera! That's an interesting idea, Miss McPeak, though I must confess that so simple and clever a scheme would have never occurred to me. But surely Dr. Plummer offered some other reason for refusing a death certificate. Yes, he says... Oh, it's impossible, but he says Louise was 
asphyxiated. Old fool, there isn't a gas outlet in the house. How helpful of you to know that, Miss McPeak. You won't mind, will you, if I check for myself? I don't mind what you do. Oh, what's the use of all this? We've nothing to tell. All of us were at a dinner party, twenty miles from here, together. When we got home after eleven, we found Louise. Well, that is, Miss Mayfield, dead. I see. Miss D. Guion, when you phoned me, you said something about some missing object? Suzanne the maid insists a lace handkerchief came in the mail for Louise as she was dressing to leave. When we found her, the handkerchief had disappeared. Very interesting. Suppose I start then by questioning this maid, Suzanne. Maybe she can tell me more about this missing handkerchief. Good morning, Bella. Good morning, Madam Story. Typing last night's notes, I see. Yes. Say, you look worried. What is it? Oh, how can one look out at that peaceful garden and realize in this house there's someone carrying the mark of Cain on their soul? Then you believe Louise Mayfield's death was not a natural one? That she was murdered? No doubt of it. Bella, that girl was asphyxiated. Oh, how horrible. So young and so full of life. And it's our job to find out who killed her. Have you finished typing those notes you took at our interminable interviews last night? Not quite. I'm almost finished. Well then, I think I'll step out on the terrace. Maybe the fresh air will help me think. Something is bothering you. Yes, Bella. What happened to that lace handkerchief Louise Mayfield received in the mail? I'm sure that was the thing that killed her. I must find it. Do call me when you're through with those notes, please. Madame Story, you come out and shame the flowers and dim the sunlight. Do you always make such pretty speeches even so early in the morning, Mr. Rowcliffe? Ah, beautiful lady, you remember my name. Yours would be a difficult name to forget, Mr. Rowcliffe. Hmm? Thanks to the Rodegraver and the picture magazines. <laughs> oh, that. You know I had no hope of ever meeting you. I can't aspire to your circle. Much too clever. Hmm, it all depends. I should say that you were quite clever enough for your own purposes, Mr. Rockcliffe. <laughs> I'm just a lightweight. I wonder. I see you're standing out under her window. That is Miss Mayfield's room up there, isn't it? Yes, er, uh, that was her room. Ivy-clad walls. Old English ivy. Sturdy and strong, too. I wonder why the vines are so torn and broken. Oh, are they? I, I hadn't noticed. You love Louise Mayfield very much, didn't you? Yes, I loved her more than anything in life. And she? Oh, why should she care for me? What am I? Nothing but a wastrel. She was in love with someone else. I knew it. I could tell. But if I'd known who it was, I'd... Why didn't you tell me, Mr. Rowcliffe? You left your dinner party and came back here last night. How did you know that I did? I didn't. You just told me. G Thank you. Well, there, you see. I... I told you you're too clever for me. What time was it when you got here? Well, I don't know. It was about 9.30, I think. I see. You came around back here in the garden. You saw a light up in her window. Galder got no answer. Then you climbed that ivy up to her window, didn't you? Well, I... Who saw me? Nobody, as far as I know. The broken ivy tells its own story, but not all of it. Tell me, 
What did you do when you got up there? I suppose you're thinking that I killed her. I wouldn't blame you if you did. And I don't care much if you do. I've got nothing more... Please, please, Mr. Radcliffe. I'm sorry. Well, I... I went in and found her lying there on the floor, dead. Then, like the coward I am, I got scared. How could I explain my being there? So I climbed down again the way I went up and drove back to Quaker Ridge. I suppose you don't believe me. Suppose I say I reserve judgment. Now, will you give me the handkerchief that you took from Louise Mayfield's hand? How did you know that? It's obvious. I suppose that you took it as a remembrance of her. Yes, I... I did. It was the last thing she touched. Here it is. Thank you. Madam Story, Madam Story, uh, could you come into the office for a moment? We'll continue this talk later, Mr. Radcliffe. Will you excuse me now, please? Certainly. So this letter was pushed under the door. Did you open it, Bella? No, I saw it was addressed to Louise Mayfield, so I called you. I see. Huh. It's postmarked Briarcliff. Here's a notation on the envelope in pencil. <laughs> Not a very literate correspondent, Bella. If you want to buy any more information about this letter, we can make a deal. I'll drop around at 11. Well, we haven't long to wait. Now, let's read the letter. Darling, I can hardly wait till Tuesday night when I'll see you again. I'm moving heaven and earth to arrange things so we'll be together for always. All my love, dear. It's signed Jay. Jay? That must be Jack Rowcliffe. In the light of what we know of their relationship, does it sound like Jack Rowcliffe? No, that's stupid of me. But the initial? Hmm, it could be that J stands for John. Peter John Kruger. Uh-huh. This must be our mysterious correspondent now. Come in. Well, ladies, here I am. Johnny on the spot, like I says. Do we do business? You're the Kruger chauffeur, aren't you, Mr... Um... Gargan's the name. Chauffeur and bodyguard. I'm sure you're efficient in both departments, Mr. Gargan, but uh, why the bodyguard? Well, it's like this. The Kruger's are important people, see? Mm-hmm. They're likely to be bothered by cranks and other undesirable citizens, get it? They need protection, and I'm the guy that can protect them. Yes, I can see that, Gargan, but now, um, about this letter. Yeah, that's right. Well, do I sing or don't I? That depends on your song, Gargan. First, tell me, how did you manage to get a hold of this letter? Well, it's like this. I always get the mail, see? And I always deliver it. But yesterday, Mrs. Kruger and the old dame are with me. I go in to get the mail, and I look through it to see if there's something for me. And I see this letter. When I come out to the car, Mrs. Kruger says, give me the mail. I hand it to her. When I get it back, the letter ain't with the others. Well, I don't think about it till last night when this Mayfield dame gets bumped off. Then I begin to smell a rat. This morning, I did a little mooching around. And here it is. Very graphic, Gargan. How's that? No, skip it. Now, uh, what further information have you to give us, Gargan? I can tell you who sent the letter to the Mayfield dame. So, for how much? Effigy. Five hundred dollars? That's an expensive song, Gargan. Ah, oh, nuts. You can put it on the expense account. You're right. Nuts it is. The five hundred dollars is yours. Thanks. 
Here you are. Now, who sent this letter to Louise Mayfield? Well, it was the one... Goggin. Madam Story, is he dead? Yes. The shot came through that window. But why? To keep him from telling us who sent that letter to Louise. Help me put him in that closet over there. Uh, Rosica, I won't let you. You can't. You've got to report it. If I report it now, the police would interfere with all my plans. I need 24 hours. You're risking your reputation. We've taken risks before. But this is concealing a murder. Why do you need 24 hours? To learn the secret of this, Bella. Why? Why? Uh, that's one of Mrs. Kruger's handkerchiefs. No, Bella. It's the handkerchief. The one Rowcliffe found on Louise Mayfield's body. I'm staking my reputation on this little scrap of lace. Madam Story, Potter is back. Oh, that's good, Bella. Did he bring back the handkerchief in the laboratory report? Yes, here they are. Hmm. Just as I thought. Oh, what a horrible use of such a lovely thing. This handkerchief was a murder weapon, Bella. But how could it have been? Because our murderer knew that Louise Mayfield used gardenia toilet water. But can't we find out who sent it? I rather think we can. Bella, get those four lace handkerchiefs that Suzanne got from me from Mrs. Kruger. What are you going to do now? Now, my dear Bella. I'm going out to present a noose to a murderer. Mr. Rowcliffe, I wanted to return this handkerchief to you for safekeeping. I'll want it back tomorrow morning. I don't know how at present, but I feel this handkerchief will be the means of proving who killed Louise Mayfield, so guard it carefully. Well, I'll do that. You can depend on me, Madame Story. Thank you, Mr. Rowcliffe. McPeak, the greatest proof that I'm not against you is that I'm going to ask you to keep this handkerchief for me, the most important piece of evidence I have. I have no assurance the murderer would not kill me to get it back, but it would never be supposed that I'd given it to you to guard. Will you keep it for me until tomorrow morning? Oh, don't worry. I'll keep it safe. Thank you, Miss McPeak. Mrs. Kruger, it's the handkerchief. It's the one that was sent to Louise Mayfield. Where'd you get it? Can't tell you that now, but I'm afraid it was the cause of her death. Oh, how horrible. What I'm going to ask you to do is to hold it for me, just until tomorrow morning. But Misty Vian, you can help. What is the real situation, Madam Story? Oh, I wish I knew. I suspect, but I have no proof. I can go no further without the assistance from the chemist. Whom do you suspect? Oh, you know? I'm afraid I do. Well, what I want you to do is to keep this for me until tomorrow morning.
Mrs. Kruger, I have asked you, Miss Dean Guion, Miss McPeak, and Mr. Rowcliffe to meet me here this morning in order that we may determine who murdered Louise Mayfield. What are you talking about? Do you think it I was one of us? I don't understand what you mean, determine who murdered Louise. You know Madam Story? You know who killed her? I believe I do, Mrs. Kruger, but I hope to prove it. I know that lace handkerchief sent to her through the mail was the murder weapon. Perhaps that can tell us something. May I have the handkerchief, please? Sure, there you are. Here. Why, I thought... I don't understand. I say, what is this? So, a trick. That's right, Miss McPeak. A trick. But one only a guilty person need fear. Guilty? But really, Madam Story, I don't understand. Bella? Yes, Madam Story? Please take the handkerchiefs one at a time. Mark each in pencil with the initials of the person from whom you receive it. May I have the handkerchiefs, please? Yes, here's mine. One at a time, please. Well, all right. Now, Bella, spread them out on your desk with the initials turned face down. As you probably surmise, none of you had the original handkerchief. That has never left my possession. Here it is. But I don't understand. This handkerchief in my hand is impregnated with a deadly poison. When moistened with alcohol, it releases a lethal gas which is instantly fatal. May I remind you that perfume is 90% alcohol and a girl about to go out on a romantic trice would inevitably moisten it with perfume. How horrible! Yes, Miss Dijon, I agree with you. But surely you don't suspect any of us. Why not, Miss McPeak? I've found that a murderer is usually actuated by fear. Fear of what the victim might do to them. All of you face that fear as far as Louise Mayfield was concerned. But one of you feared so deeply that you dared risk murder to protect what you had. You feared loss of position, prestige, supplementing by a younger, more attractive girl. Loss of all that had made life worth living. That one person alone knew what the fatal handkerchief contained. I gave each one of you what you thought was that handkerchief. I was curious to see what disposition you would make of the evidence. Bella. Yes? Please examine those four handkerchiefs carefully. And when you're done with that, tell me if any of them have changed since they left our hands last evening. Yes, this one has been washed. Washed? Well, I don't understand. Read the initials on it. T-D-G. Teresa? Teresa? Keep away from me. Keep away from me. I say keep away from me. I'll shoot. Why, you... <laughs> Gad, she's shot herself. <laughs> it's all my fault. Poor Teresa. Poor thing. She, she was old. She couldn't stand it. She just couldn't stand it. <laughs> no, Mrs. Kruger. It wasn't your fault. It was better so. The end of a passing world. Exit an era. Thank you for listening to Quarantine Radio Theater's production of The Scrap of Lace, featuring the vocal talents of Emily Schneider as Rosika Story, Allison Beach as Mimi, 
Sean Chevalier-Kelman as Teresa, Megan Kolosaiki as Louise, Megan Knoll as Vera, Andrew Richards as Jack, Sherry Hawkins as Suzanne and Bella, Bill Burke as the butler, and Kelly Hoagland as Gargan. Quarantine Radio Theater is a collaborative effort uniting talented individuals from their homes. Using whatever recording means handy, we try to bring a little bit of entertainment to you, the listener, during these uncertain times. We have several more shows left in this season and are very excited to invite you to like and follow our Facebook page. We are constantly updating and providing information about the QRT cast and upcoming shows. We also invite you to hit that like, subscribe, or follow button on the QRT YouTube channel, as well as wherever you find us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Also, please leave us a comment as the QRT crew is always glad to hear how you're liking our shows. Well, uh, Sherry has been gone a long time. <laughs> Sherry, where's the pizza manager? to use the uh, facilities, so I told him to use the ones in Sector 5. Sector 5? Are you sure it's back here? I can't find the light switch. Ah, here it is. Got it. <laughs> and zombies are fed. We probably didn't want to feed that one to them. Why? He was the manager? Who's going to hire more delivery drivers? Oh, oops. My bad. Oh, don't worry about it. We'll cover it like we have the rest. Gotcha. Hey, everyone. Code the hut. 